Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Eric Putman. I am the pastor of Junior High Ministries, and I have the incredible privilege to share God's Word with you today. Uh, pastor John is out of town. He's on vacation, and I, I love John, and I love when he's here, but to be honest with you, I also love times when he's away because, because then I get chances like this to come up here, and, and I love doing this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about when you were a child, okay, just get there, whenever you were a child, and I want you to think about something that you wanted really bad. Something that you wanted as a child. It consumed your heart and your mind. It kept you up at night. It could be a toy. It could be a stuffed animal. It could be a bicycle. Can anybody think about something that they really wanted as a child? Anybody? All right, a few of you? Okay. Some of you just keep thinking. It'll get there. But for me, when I was a child, I desperately wanted an autographed baseball. Okay, but not just any autograph. See, I grew up in Texas, and I was a big baseball fan, and I was a big fan of the Texas Rangers. And when I was 10 years old, the greatest pitcher in the history of pitching or baseball, okay, signed with the Texas Rangers, Nolan Ryan, all right, the strikeout king himself, okay. And I wanted his autograph so bad when I was 10 years old, and he signed with the Rangers. But the chances of getting it were very, very slim. Number one, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't go to a lot of games. And even if we did, it'd be hard to get that. Number two, I doubt as a kid that I'm going to run into him on the street or anything like that. Um, so, but I wanted this. And every time that Nolan Ryan was pitching, I begged my dad to go to the game. I said, Dad, can we please go? I got to somehow meet Nolan Ryan and get his autograph like that was going to happen, right? And I have to go. And sure enough, I prayed for this. And I asked God, please give me Nolan Ryan's autograph, okay? And um, I remember praying for this, seriously. And one day I came home from school. And my dad surprised our family with tickets to the Ranger game where Nolan Ryan was pitching. And uh, we were blessed. Some family in the church gave us these tickets. And we went to the game, and these weren't just any seats. These were three rows behind the home team dugout. All right? So I was in heaven, okay? And a lot of the kids would go out on top of the dugout before the game and get autographs of the players who were kind of hanging around in the dugout. And I had one item to get autographed. I had a baseball. And I wasn't going to get it signed by anyone else. I was waiting for Nolan Ryan to come out. And I was waiting and waiting, and me and my brother were there, and he, he, he wasn't coming. But I knew he was pitching that night, right? He had to come out. So they finally introduced him to go up to the mound to pitch, and he went up the steps. And me and my brother just started yelling out to him, Nolan, Nolan, please sign, sign our, our baseball. Please, please, can we have your autograph? And I kid you not, Nolan Ryan turned around and looked at me and my brother and said, I will be back here after the game, I promise. So I was in heaven, right? Like uh, I, you know, just enjoyed the game. The Rangers won. And the whole time I was thinking about what, what I'm going to say to Nolan when we talk and that kind of thing. And me and my brother, when the game's over, go down to the, to the dugout and just, just wait for him. And we wait 10 minutes and we wait 15 minutes. And the stadium is clearing out. And my parents are just watching, probably heartbroken, right? Like me and my brother are just desperately waiting for this. And sure enough, my dad had to come down and break the news to us and just say, he's not coming. And I'm like, no, dad, you don't understand. Nolan told me that he would be here, okay? Nolan, he, he promised that, that he would be here. He's not coming. And sure enough, he never, he never came. 
And I was, I know, very sad, right? And I remember being so even mad, you know, we joke about that, but I remember as a kid, as a 10-year-old, being mad at God because I'd been praying for this. I had my chance. It was there. Nolan said he promised he would be there, and this never happened. And I'm like, why, God, why? You know, that kind of thing. And, And I joke about it, and I laugh about that. But why I tell you the story is that this was my first memory I have of being disappointed as, as, as God, even as a 10-year-old. And, I, you know, I'd think there is no God. If I, if I said a prayer and didn't get what I wanted, then I was like, where are you? That kind of thing. And we can laugh at the childhood moment of wanting something so bad that it kind of dominated our life. But if I'm really honest with you, I haven't outgrown that desire. I've outgrown the desire of the autograph ball, but I haven't outgrown that desire of desperately wanting something. And my guess is that I'm not alone. And if you're like me, you simply replaced your desire for a toy or an autograph or, or, or something with something that's more age appropriate. You kept the same passion and longing, but you traded it in for something you believe to be more meaningful in your life. And here's what I know about you. And I don't know where you are spiritually. I, we're all over the place spiritually. Some of you um, have it all together spiritually. You're a spiritual giant, and, and I envy you. Like, and, and there's others of us who have said yes to following Jesus, and we're doing our best every day to try to figure out what that means. And some of you in here may not even know Jesus or know God, and you're investigating, you're seeking. Maybe you are forced here by a spouse or a parent, and you're just, uh, you just don't want to be here. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually, but here's what I know about you, that most likely you have this desperate prayer that you want to be answered. There's something in your life that you desperately want and long for. Some of you are praying for new jobs, jobs that are more meaningful, better job. There may be parents in here, your, your kids have wandered away spiritually and and your desperate prayer is that is that they would come back there are people here whose marriage is in trouble you want your marriage fixed you want it strengthened you want it to be like the way it used to be there are people in here who just want to be married and you're just wondering when that is ever going to happen I can guarantee you there are many people in here who want physical healing maybe not just for you but but for a loved one And although there are a lot of people in here, some of you are sitting in a crowd and you're feeling so desperately lonely. What am I saying? I'm saying that every one of us can identify with something that's important that we can see, that we want to see happen. But truth be told, it's not coming together the way that we would write the script. Let me make this a little more personal. Raise your hand if you have ever felt like God was not acting or moving on your timing that you would like to see. All right, there we go. Everybody, I would think, okay? So my question to you this morning is, what is your desperate prayer? What is it? Think about it. What is your desperate prayer? If you have to, write it out on your outline, um, hide it somewhere, or, or just think about it throughout this talk. I want you to identify what it is right now. And if your desperate prayer doesn't come to you right away, that's okay. It just means that it may not be desperate right now. But I want to encourage you to take notes because it's, it's going to come. It's going to come. And you're going to have to come back to this. And while you think about your desperate prayer, I'll just tell you one of mine. My mother, uh, um, I love my mother. She 
12 years ago, this February, she fell and broke her back. And 12 years have gone by, um, and she's had multiple surgeries, and she's been in chronic pain, and we've been praying and praying and praying for, t- for 12 years. And my desperate prayer, and I don't know why it still hasn't been answered, but, but she hasn't been healed, and she still can't function the way she used to, and she still deals with the pain. And sometimes I'm just like, God, this is my desperate prayer. Why aren't you listening? Why, why aren't you answering my prayer? And that's just, that's just one of mine. And what I want you to do is throughout this message, have your desperate prayer in the front of your mind. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look in the Bible to see what happens when Jesus intercepts with someone's desperate prayers. And in this, I think you're going to find hope for your prayer. I think actually you're going to be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. The text is found in John 11. Turn there if you need to. The words are also going to be on the screen. It involves two sisters and a brother, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And all three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are very, very close to Jesus. But Lazarus is sick. He's very sick. I'm not talking about the flu or, or, you know, something like that. Lazarus is, is about to die. And what's interesting to me is that when Jesus finds out that his buddy Lazarus is sick, Jesus surprises everybody, and he doesn't do anything for two days. He's deadly sick and Jesus takes his time. And as a matter of fact, by the time Jesus gets to Lazarus' home, he's dead. He's dead. And here's a surprise, and, and some of you know this, that Lazarus doesn't stay dead. And as I've studied the story, I've pulled out five things that I want to share with you. And I'm sure there are many more, but here are five things that I see about Jesus that helps us in our desperate prayer in the life that we live today. And they're on your outline there. Here's number one. Number one is Jesus demonstrates a unique timing. A unique timing. It's surprising to me that, that he doesn't go to Lazarus right away. It may be even disturbing. His friend is sick and he, he seems to be in no rush. John chapter 11, verse 5 through 7 says this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go see Lazarus. So by the time he gets to Lazarus, it's been four days. And you've got to imagine, put yourself in Mary and Martha's shoes in their desperate prayer. Our brother is dying. You've got to imagine that they were going crazy. Where is Jesus? Come on. Doesn't, doesn't he know? I thought he loved Lazarus. Doesn't he care? Didn't he get the message? Why is Jesus not coming? What's going on? And for many of us, this is the most frustrating part of trusting Jesus, our life to Jesus, is that he doesn't operate on our predetermined time schedule. And the delay is torturous. Think about your desperate prayer for a minute. Maybe you're feeling like Mary and Martha and you're asking, where is he? What what is going on? Does he not care? Does he not love me? Because he's not showing up when and where you want him to show up. And I want you to understand this. While Jesus' timing may be unique, he never stops loving you. He can't stop loving you because because he's God. And the character of God is love. And here's what I see with a lot of people. A lot of people say, oh God, I want you to show up in this area of my life. But then what we do is we actually stop trusting him because we put a deadline on it. God, I need this prayer answered. But you know what? I need it answered Monday 3 o'clock, 
Pacific Standard Time, okay? And if it's not answered by then, I just can't trust you anymore. I'm sorry, it's over. You know, we, we put a time restraint on it. And when we do that, that totally disqualifies trust. Trusting Jesus and time conditions, they don't go together. And what I'm learning in my life is that for me to trust Jesus, I must trust in his timing. I have to admit that this is difficult for me. Sometimes I feel like he's on vacation, like he's not listening, like he's moving too slowly. And I look at it this way. To walk with Jesus means that I need to trust in the pace of his walk. As followers of Jesus, we walk with him. But what I think a lot of times what we do is we rush ahead of him. And then we kind of look around and wonder, where did you go? We have to trust his timing. We have to trust the pace of his walk. The second thing we learn about Jesus that's important for our desperate prayer is that, number two, he offers a bigger life. A bigger life. What he's saying is whatever your desperate prayer is, I know it's big to you. I know, Martha, I know, Mary, it's, it's big to you. I know, Eric, that, that your desperate prayer is big. But I offer you something so much bigger. And that's hard for us to understand because nothing seems bigger at the time than our desperate prayer. Look at verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, Lazarus has already died, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. You see, she had a small view. Now, you know, she gives her Sabbath answer, her synagogue answer, she learned. She says, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. I know he'll rise again. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And here's what I love about this. Martha actually has the courage to say that what many of us feel at times. Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you show up? If you were here, if only you had listened, if only you had come through, if only you had worked on my timing, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus looks at her closely and says, Martha, your brother will rise again. Do you believe this, Martha? See, Martha has this little view. And I don't blame her for having a little view because in real life, dead people, they don't rise. Based on her experience, she had never seen that before. So she's got this little view going on. But Jesus is painting this bigger picture. Her little view meant eternal life, and, and she's thinking heaven. Yes, he'll rise again at the end of time. And Jesus was talking about eternal life, but he was also talking about life now because he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. For most of my life, I've had this limited view of God, and when I heard eternal life, I always thought heaven. But lately I'm realizing that our eternal life, it starts now. Eternal life starts when I believe and I put my trust in Jesus. That there's something bigger happening now. And I meet all these people who do this. They say, I'm very thankful that my sins have been forgiven. And they kind of focus on the past. And I'm looking forward to the future. I'm thankful that I'm going to go to heaven someday. So they have the past and they have the future covered. But for some reason right in the present... Even as a Christian, they're miserable. 
They're living this passionless, barely hanging on survival life. And that's not the Jesus life. That's not the spirit-led life. Let me paint a picture for you. Imagine that you know someone who has been given a pass to Disneyland uh, for the rest of their lives, and it's free. Okay? Imagine a lot of you have been there, I'm sure. And this person goes to Disneyland a lot, but when they go to Disneyland, they just stay in the entrance of the park. All right? They just stay right there in the front. And, you know, it's nice. There's nice landscaping. There's some food places. Um, you might meet Mickey or Goofy might come out. Okay? And, and they just stay right there in the entrance. And they're technically in the park. But if you knew someone like that, what would you say to them if they had this entrance to Disneyland? I would say, go inside, you moron. Like, there's, there's so much more for you to experience. Go to Space Mountain. Go to the Matterhorn. Look at all these rides. Go to Mickey's house, for crying out loud. I don't know. Go ride It's a Small World, even though that ride's horrible. Don't go ride that. But <laughs> go, go experience the kingdom. You would say, go inside. There's so much more. You're not experiencing the full kingdom. And sometimes I want to say that to people who call themselves Christians. My friends, you're not experiencing the kingdom. And sometimes we're missing out on this incredible venture called life and living with Jesus. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Eric? Do you believe this? Insert your name there. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Ephesians 1 says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same, right there on your outline, circle the word same. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power, track with me, that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power av made available to me. The same power that Jesus used to raise Lazarus from the dead is the same power that's available to you and me right now. Yes, please, I will take some of that. Thank you very much. We have that power in us. Jesus lives in us. And what does that mean? And I know life isn't always great. It's not always peaches and cream. And, and we're going to feel lonely or defeated or scared. But if we truly believe in the power that is in us, our lives need to show it. And I struggle with this with myself. Sometimes I do this a lot. I throw pity parties for myself. And, and I think, woe is me. And my wife has two names that she likes to call me. One is Eeyore, okay, the little donkey from Winnie the Pooh. Like, Eeyore, oh, life is horrible, that kind of thing. And the other one is Charlie Brown, all right? Just good grief. Doesn't anything ever happen? And sometimes I throw these pity parties for myself and just think how bad life really is. And I just wish it would go away. You see, my power, your power is limited. And if we could change things ourselves, we would. But our power is limited. But the same power that, that rose Jesus from the dead the Bible says it is available to us right now. Number three, the third thing we read and, and learn in the story is that Jesus reveals a heart that breaks. Jesus reveals a heart that breaks. If you would like to memorize more scripture, I got the verse for you right here. It says this, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. There you go. If you don't know it, there's a, Verse you have memorized right there. 
this translation that I use, New Living, they added the word then to it. Then Jesus wept. Here's what it says in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Martha, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? I love this. Because the God in the flesh, Jesus himself, God weeps. Jesus was sad, but why? Because Lazarus was dead? I I don't think so. Because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. I think Jesus wept because the scripture says he saw her weeping. His heart broke for the pain in Martha's heart. His heart broke for those who were grieving and mourning. The pain they were experiencing broke the heart of Jesus. The compassion he had for them was overwhelming. And for some of you, your desperate prayer is not being answered the way you want it to. You think your prayer is not being answered because you're not good enough? You kind of have this view of God that God looks at you and knows and just keeps track of all your sins that you have committed. And you kind of actually have this warped view of God that he's the scorekeeper and you're on the losing end. And what I want you to hear today is that he knows everything about you and his heart breaks when you are brokenhearted. What you see in Jesus, we see the character of God that he feels your pain and his heart is breaking alongside of yours. That's what he does. Okay, but why isn't he answering my desperate prayer the way I want it? And that's a really good question, and I'm about to disappoint you because I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why he hasn't healed my mom after 12 years. I don't know why some of these things don't, don't get answered. I wish I could tell you, but my understanding of God is limited. But what I do know, I've seen not only in my own life and others' lives, but also in Scripture, is that he never stops loving you. He never stops loving you in the midst of your desperate prayers. He cares for you. Number four is this. Jesus displays a power that transforms. Now the wording of this point may sound a little redundant because all power transforms and that's what it does. And I kind of know this firsthand. When I was a child, my mom told me, Eric, don't ever stick a bobby pin in a light socket. Okay? And I was thinking... Why would she say that? I've never thought of this before, okay? <laughs> now, you know, th- now this is on my bucket list. Like, I, I have to try it. I have to know what happens when you put, w- when you do this. Bobby pin in a light socket. So what I did one night when my parents were away, is I took a bobby pin and I tried to jam it in a light socket to see what would happen, but it didn't fit because there's these little plastic devices at the end that catches them, you know? So I gnawed them off like a dog with a bone, okay? I just took this bobby pin and started gnawing them off and got them off and then I stuck it in the light socket and and nothing happened. I was actually kind of disappointed. I was like, well, what's the big deal? Maybe you've got to stick in both of the holes on the light socket. (laughs) Boom, there it was, all right? (laughs) Talk about a power that transforms. Wow. I actually wet myself during that time. It was a power that I will never forget, okay? (laughs) Now I know why my mom said, do not do that. 
That's not the power I'm talking about. Jesus delivers a different type of power. Verse 39, it says this. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And for those of you who are raised with the King James Version, uh, the King James actually says, the uh, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Okay? I thought that was funny. All right? He stinketh. He stinketh. I work with junior hires. I know what stinketh means, okay? Um, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all those people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Anytime I read God's words, especially when I'm reading about Jesus, I actually try to put myself kind of into the context of the story. And I try to put myself in the story so I feel it and sense it and see it. And I try to imagine between the time Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, and when he came out, all that, all that was happening. I wonder during the wait, what do you think was going on? There had to be some delay from Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out, to him coming out, you know. Did Martha believe? Did, did the other people believe? Did people doubt? Were some people mocking? What was going on? And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes Lazarus walking out. The dead has been raised. The question for us is not did Jesus have the power. The question is this, do you believe? And do you believe enough to trust him with your life? Do you believe? There's a part of me that wonders when everybody's eyes were on Lazarus, did Jesus look over to Martha? And not with, you know, like a condemning smile, but with a I love you smile. Just to say, Martha, I know you've been praying for this. I know this was desperate. And I know I didn't meet your timing demands, but I never stopped loving you. I am the resurrection and the life. So for you, when it comes to your desperate prayer, are you putting your trust in the power of Jesus? Or maybe you're trying to control it yourself, trying to fix it yourself. You're worried about it. You think about it all the time. It's consuming you. And ultimately, you don't trust. There's a fifth thing we can learn about the character of God in the story. And this is a beautiful one. Number five, Jesus calls the community to help. One of the many things that brings me great joy being a follower of Jesus is I don't have to do this alone. In this last verse, we're going to look at nine words, but there is one word that is easy to overlook, but I think it's very, very powerful. Here it is. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The key word there is them. He told them. He told the community. He told the friends and the family. He invites the community to get involved. Why did Jesus instruct other people to, to take off the burial clothes? Why didn't he do it himself? He's the one that raised them from the dead. Why didn't he have Lazarus do it himself? He's alive now. Take off the burial clothes. But for some reason, Jesus told them, take off the burial clothes. Perhaps there is something that the community gains by actually touching, physically touching the pain. 
getting so close to the odor of their once dead friend. Maybe there's something about connecting with, with each other in the deepest, rawest moments of one's life that benefit everyone. That maybe real community comes from more than just like a Bible study. Maybe it's deeper than that. I have this uh, love-hate relationship with working out. Um, actually, I just hate it pretty much. Um, but I always feel the need to get in shape. Okay, And um, I would get a membership to the gym and it would last for a few months and then I would quit. Maybe some of you guys can relate to this. I don't know. I would uh, buy, if you look at my uh, entertainment system at home, center, whatever. I have so many DVD workout programs that I said, I am going to do this, okay? And then I just get halfway through and stop. But all of my years of, of trying to get in shape, I was thinking about the time I was in the greatest shape of my life, and that was about five years ago, and it was uh, before I was married. I was living with four other guys, and um, this is when I was in the best shape of my life because they would do the workouts with me. We would meet every day after work <coughs> at the house and we'd put on this P90X DVD and we'd go through the workout together. And when I was struggling, my roommates were cheering me on. When I needed to get a certain amount of push-ups or pull-ups or, or accomplish some goal, they were encouraging me and saying, you can do this. What I realized is that the way we worked out is actually the way I think the church should be. Whenever one of us experienced a physical breakthrough, everybody cheered and they were right there and, and they would applaud and cheer because we had this physical breakthrough and they had it at one point in their lives as well. So everybody is kind of tied together by this common physical feat. And here's why I share this with you. I share this with you because I remember telling one of my roommates this, uh, that, you know, I love doing this workout with you guys because I think this is a lot like the church should be. He goes, what do you mean, like sweating and begging for mercy? What do you mean this is what church should be like? I'm like, no, I mean the, the encouragement. I mean you guys pulling me through when I need help. I mean just us being here together. I tried doing this on my own, and I always, I always fail. I always end up giving up. We weren't alone. I believe that every follower of Jesus Christ needs to have people in their life who are saying, I am with you. You can do it. I, you know, I know your marriage is rocky right now, but I'm praying for you. I'm encouraging you. I know your kid is wayward, and we're going to cheer you on. We're not going to let you be alone. I, I know that you're sick right now. I'm going to hold your hand through this whole thing, and we're going to battle this together. I'm not going to let you be alone. Unwrap him and let him live. Don't be held captive by the garments of death. So many of us in here have been given this new life, yet we continue to live our life like we're still in the grave. And we dress ourselves in clothes of doubt and fear and shame. And those aren't the right clothes. If you're doing this alone, you need to be around people who are following Jesus, who have been unwrapped, who are living this new reality of Jesus-filled, Spirit-led living. That's what the church needs to be. We started this conversation with me asking you about your deepest longing, your deepest prayer, and hopefully you still have that in your mind. And while I can't promise you that God will answer your prayer the way you want him to answer your prayer, 
I can promise you from my experience and from the stories of many others is that Jesus may surprise you. He may surprise you, but he will never disappoint you. He will always keep his promise. Three years ago, uh, my sister went to a baseball game in Texas and somehow got hooked up with some friends at at one of the suites. Um, I was very jealous when she told me about this. And this happened to be right next door to the suite of Nolan Ryan when he was the president at the time. So she actually met him and they talked throughout the game and he was a very nice guy and I didn't believe it because he made me mad as a child. I just, I, I was so just jealous that, that she got to do this. And she came out to California and visited me shortly uh, after that. And, and, and she just was telling me about her experience of meeting Nolan Ryan and, and just going to that game. And then she said, hey, I, I really want you to have this. And she turned around and gave me an autographed baseball of Nolan Ryan that, that he gave to her. And, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And I'm not saying that this is an answered prayer from God from when I was 10. Um, I'm not saying it's not either. I don't know. Um, But I keep this in my office. And as silly as it may sound, every time I I look at this, I'm just reminded that, that that when I pray to God that he hears my prayers. And that it might not happen in my timing. It might not happen the way I want it to. But, but God hears and, and he cares. And he's working in his own timing because he's God. He doesn't work according to what we want or when we want it. But he, he moves when he's ready to move because he's God. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to take that desperate prayer that you have. Take that problem. And I want you to stop fixing your eyes on that prayer and start fixing your eyes on the one who hears your prayer. His timing is surprising. When we focus on Jesus, you won't be disappointed. And sometimes we may be surprised. We may be surprised that his timing is surprising. His offer of a bigger life is surprising. His empathy and love and tears that he sheds for you is surprising. His power that he gives you and me access to is surprising. His plans to use other people to come into our lives is surprising. And the question I have for you this morning and that I want you to think about is, do you believe? Do you believe in the power of the spirit that is in you? Do you believe that God wants to transform you and change you? Do you believe that he hears your prayers? The answer is is, is a yes, overwhelmingly yes. He does do these things. All you have to do is believe, and he will show you that power. Maybe not in your timing. You know, you might get the autograph ball 20 years later, but God is going to answer when he's ready in his timing. Let's pray. God, thank you that in our confusion and doubt and fear and worry that you never stop loving us. And my prayer for this church of incredible people is that we would grasp your bigger picture for our lives and put our trust in you. 
And then we'd express that trust by following you in your teachings and your ways. Today, we, we recommit to rely on your power and to live out your presence in our lives. We pray that we'd be different people when we leave here today. Lord, we pray that we will believe in the power that you offer. You offer us a bigger life. You offer us compassion. Lord, you hear our prayers and you love us. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you, have a great day.